When does someone stop being a stranger? Is it when you meet them for the first time? When you're standing in front of them face to face, looking in their eyes? Maybe. But the world we live in now is so incredibly virtual. Has that definition changed? What if you've never been in the same room, or the same city, or even the same country, but you've connected virtually? Are they still a stranger? Would they still be a stranger if they saved your life? It's just after eight in the evening, and 17-year-old Aiden Jackson is at home in Widnes. It's a small town about halfway between Liverpool and Manchester in the north of England. He's in his bedroom, on his computer. Aiden is playing Fortnite. I have spent the past five years playing that game. <laughs> it's a massively popular game with a long history. Fortnite originally was a third-person tower defense type game. It was quite strategic. And then in December 2017, they released a massive multiplayer version of it called Fortnite Battle Royale. The cool part about the game is that you aren't playing against computer-controlled enemies. You're facing off against real people playing online in real time. Honestly, it can be anyone. You can encounter literally anyone in the world. <laughs> Meanwhile, downstairs, his mom and dad are in the family room. Watching TV like every other night, simply assuming that everything was okay upstairs. Except... It's not. The next thing they know, a police car uh, turning up outside, soon followed by an ambulance. Aiden's mom jumps off the couch, peers through the curtains. Police officers and paramedics rush out of their vehicles, heading straight to her door. Aiden's father pulls it open. Standing on the front step, a police officer explains there's been a call that someone at this address needs help. Everyone here is fine, he tells them. That's when the officer says the call asking for help came from Texas. As soon as the officer said that it was from the US, my mom was running upstairs straight away to my room because that's when she knew. There was no other way that they were gonna get a call from the US if it wasn't for me. I'm Torkachur. And this is Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people, an original podcast by OnStar. Every day when you wake up, you don't know if you'll be a person who needs help or if you'll be a person that helps someone else. It's important to remember that it's in all of us to be either one of those things every day. It's early afternoon in Dallas, Texas. The weather couldn't be better, warm and sunny. And driving on those sunny streets is a 20-year-old woman named Raven Wolfsbane. I was just coming back from running errands. It's January, and Raven's making good on her New Year's resolution. This is the year she's gonna keep on top of everything. She isn't gonna let anything slide. And that includes taking care of her car. I had just gone and gotten my car checked, gotten my tires refilled, all that fun stuff. Raven, like most of her friends, loves video games. I've been a gamer for as long as I can remember. It's just always been a part of my life. She started with a Nintendo DS, 
and then moved to an Xbox. For my graduation from high school, my dad bought me a custom-built computer, and my cousin built it for me. She now games exclusively on that custom-built PC. And what she likes to play the most is Fortnite. In the game, not only do you play against other real people, you can form squads, play as a team, and work together. To do that, you have to turn on the live chat feature and talk over your headset. Usually it's just, hey, look out behind you, or I'm going to hide behind this building. But if you play enough and you cross paths with the same people enough, you can actually become friends. And you can schedule your gaming sessions to play together. That's what happened with Raven in Texas and Aiden in England. We had plans to play Fortnite. That was like the game at the time that we were really into and having fun with and playing the most. There's a six-hour time difference. So although Aiden is ready to play, Raven is still out running her errands. I wrapped up a few matches on Fortnite and I was, was sitting in my chair waiting for Raven to come home. She fortunately uh, joined voice chat on her way home when she was in the car. They chat about the game and the weather, just killing time until Raven can get home and log on. I had a bit of a headache, so I was gonna lay down. I moved uh, my microphone so that she could still hear me because uh, I was just gonna sit on my bed and talk until she got home. And that's sort of when everything spiraled from there. Raven's about a mile and a half from her house when Aiden suddenly stops talking. It was like gasping and just like the sounds that you wouldn't normally hear from somebody. Alone in her car, Raven doesn't know what's happening or what to do. I tried to get his attention and say his name a couple times, but he didn't respond. She begins to suspect he's having a seizure. There was no, like, warning to him having a seizure because he was already laying down in bed. He didn't, like, fall to the floor or have anything like that happen. It was literally just him having a seizure in his bed. Raven listens through her headset, hoping to hear someone rush into the room to help him. But there's nothing. Just the painful gasping noises Aiden is making. That's when she realizes that even though she's 5,000 miles away, she's the only person in the world who knows Aiden needs help. Went quiet, and I was the only person who knew. This is Tell Me What Happened, a podcast created by OnStar to showcase how important a human connection is when you need help. Whether you're lost on a backcountry road or alone in your house. Raven Wolfsbane is driving home after running a few errands. Her plan for the rest of the day is a few hours of online gaming with friends from all over the world, including Aiden Jackson. But right now, she's on the phone with him and he isn't talking. It was like, a, I can't breathe, there's no air, I'm not where I am. As soon as she's home, she rushes upstairs to her computer. She knows Aiden's last name is Jackson and that he lives in Widnes in England, but that's about it. First, I tried to look up his mom's, like, phone number. But there are an awful lot of Jacksons in Widness. She doesn't know Aiden's parents' first names. She doesn't know what street he lives on. And she doesn't have time to call all the Jacksons one by one. 
So she tries something new. Trying to figure out how to contact the witness police. 911 doesn't work. That's a North American service. I tried to contact just like the UK police in general. She dials 999, the British equivalent. But it wouldn't let my phone call go through. Because you can't reach that service from America. All the while, she's listening on the headset to what's going on in Aiden's room. But there's nothing but silence. Then, in the middle of this desperation, she has an idea. I was actually going to be sending him a gift, and I had, like, maybe a week or two before asked for his address and had it pinned in my Discord. Discord is a social media chat platform. They used to stay in touch outside of the game. And I remembered that I could use that. Raven pulls up Aiden's home address from her Discord account, then figures out which local police unit covers the part of town Aiden lives in, Googles their direct number, and dials. Hello, Witness Police Station. How can we help you? Raven tells them her incredible story, desperate for them to believe her. I wasn't being hysterical, but I was obviously very stressed out over the situation and worried. But she gets the runaround. I had to be transferred to a specific, like, unit and retell them, like, what was going on so that they could send an ambulance over there. The British responders tell Raven they're on their way. But it's now been 30 minutes since Aiden had his seizure. All this time, Aiden's parents are one floor down, oblivious to what's happening. Police officers and paramedics rush to the front door of Aiden's house. A confused conversation ensues. Then Aiden's mom leads him upstairs to his room. In Texas, Raven is still listening online. She hears a door open, and a voice she later learned was Aiden's mom. She was like, are you okay? You know, the paramedics are at the door saying that somebody from the internet said that you had a seizure. More people rush into the room, and a bunch of new voices start talking quickly. Raven listens in while they start treating Aiden. The paramedics started, like, inspecting and doing all that, and they were like, yeah, he should probably go to the the hospital to make sure that he's okay because he's definitely had a seizure. At the hospital, Aiden is checked out. And thankfully, there's no serious damage. I'm waking up all, like, suddenly, completely disoriented. And there was just a massive gap in my memory there. Later that night, Aiden called Raven from the hospital to give her an update. My mum came into my room and uh, thanked Raven profusely. She was like, it was amazing that you figured out how to do this at all. And just, you know, it means a lot to us that you're looking out for our son. And we just wanted to say thank you and all that fun stuff. The experience has turned their online friendship into a real one, even though they're still on opposite sides of the world. It's never felt like a crazy, heroic situation. I just feel like I did what I had to do to protect my friend. She's the kindest person that I know. She's one of my best friends. One update on the story of Aiden and Raven. 
they did eventually meet in person. A TV show heard their story and invited them to New York City to have a first meeting on live television. The meeting itself was amazing. It was quite an emotional moment. I almost felt my, uh, my body move on its own. I wasn't planning to run towards her on the set, nor was she, but seeing her, I couldn't stop myself. It was emotional, but brief. After that one visit, they've resumed their normal relationship, gaming and chatting and hanging out online. You have that friendship as if they were always right next to you. Aiden isn't the only person who was saved directly or indirectly by the video game social community. In fact, for a lot of people, gaming culture is crucial to their mental health. Dr. Kelly Dunlap is a gamer and also a clinical psychologist who has a story about how someone can be rescued by online gaming. I had, was meeting this young boy for the first time and he was coming in because, you know, he was having some issues at school, but he wouldn't talk to anybody. And then I, I saw his shirt and it said, all day I dream about video games. I think I was playing Halo 2 at the time. And so I was talking about the level design and dro name dropping designers and, you know, all those kind of things to show my bona fides. And his face just lit up because I was speaking his language. I was showing that I was cared and I was interested and I wasn't just going to shut him down because his favorite game was Call of Duty. And I didn't instantly say that was dumb or a waste of time or dangerous. It was, you know, something that we started, we built a rapport around that. And so he started talking. We used that going forward, not just for rapport, but eventually worked it into like clinical homework. Like I would give him homework in Call of Duty to do. What kinds of homework can you do on Call of Duty? So one of the things that this particular individual uh, had some anger management issues. And so I would say, okay, go play. And then notice how you start to feel, like become aware of your feelings. Notice when you start to get tense. Notice when you start to get angry. Uh, and then what I want you to do is to notice how your playing goes. Because typically if someone's ragey or really, really angry, their skill goes down. You know, it's called being on tilt. And that's what I wanted to show him is that it's not just good to regulate your emotions because the adults are telling you to. It's good to regulate your emotions because it makes you a better player. It keeps you level. It prevents you from going on tilt. So that was one of our homework assignments. And another one was, you know, what is it that gets you upset? Is it when you're playing campaign or is it when you're competing? You know, is it when you're playing by yourself or is it when you're playing with your friends? So we kind of developed a way of, you know, what, what triggers him in the game in terms of his anger. And then we also talked about, you know, well, is that accurate outside of games. You know, do you also get angry if you're playing a pickup game of soccer on, you know, on the soccer field? Or do you do better with people or do you do better by yourself? Is competition hard for you or not? And so we just generalize it to things outside of the game as well. I never want to pass up the chance to learn from an expert. So I asked Dr. Dunlap to explain how something as seemingly frivolous as video games could be so important to our mental health. So you can't talk about the benefits of game without understanding how critical play is to human development. Our need for play doesn't change as we get older, but society tells us we have to. So, you know, you if you saw a group of 40-year-olds running around playing tag, you might think that's kind of weird, or you're playing a game of like, you know, flag football. But that's because flag football is a game. And so we're allowed as adults and as adolescents and even as older adults to engage in this play behavior that 
gives us feelings of accomplishment, that gives us a sense of connection and community and allows us to feel masterful and like what we do matters. Like we can have an impact on the world. I like goosebumps talking about it because it just, you know, it's, it's all those good feelings that come from being competent and connected. And games give that to us in a way that society says is okay. Do you think that the degree of connectedness that you feel over some of these games is misunderstood? And the, what is the value of that level of connection? I mean, human beings are socially, we're social creatures. Like we, we need to have social connection. And I think especially through the pandemic, we've seen the massive negative impacts of being isolated from, from the people we care about and from the communities that we care about. And we feel very, very alone. And I think what games allow us to do is to stay socially connected even when we're physically distant. And so when people are thinking about those kinds of relationships online, they often tend to get kind of sidebarred into, oh, well, they're not real friends or, you know, they're not real connections just because you made them online. And that just like the science clearly shows that that's not true. If you've made a good friend online, then you've made a good friend, whether or not you've ever met them in person. But yeah, the the internet can be a scary place. And for a lot of people, you know, you do have to be careful. It's not all puppies and rainbows. Um, But those connections that you get through online play, whether it's in the game itself, whether it's talking about the games in forums, so like ancillary spaces, whether you're talking with your own friends on a Discord server about the game, it's facilitating all these different kinds of connections, which we really need. Can you comment on how gaming that includes particularly interaction with other people, sometimes just strangers, can be a real lifeline for people who are worried and feeling too alone in their lives? For people who have social anxiety, one of the things about social anxiety is you're terrified of being embarrassed and being unable to escape that embarrassment. And so in a space like online spaces, if something doesn't go your way, you can leave, you can block the other person, you can mute communications, like you can move things around, you can change games. There's not one, you're not stuck with one group, one social group like you would in say a workplace or in a school. And so if you do mess up, it's not the end of your social world. What are some other kinds of skills that gaming can teach people that will help with their quote unquote real life? Games are this fantastic possibility space where we're allowed to experiment with difficult skills and difficult challenges. And there's no consequence. Like if you fail in a game, it's not a big deal. And there's safety in that. Like everybody's going to screw up. Everyone's going to fail. So that allows us to be more creative, more experimental, to flex problem solving skills that maybe in real life would be really, really scary to do because the consequences of failure are so enormous. You know, the, the social consequences of saying the wrong thing could be detrimental to a teenager who are very sensitive at that age. Whereas when they're online, they get to practice those skills. And if they screw up, it's a big internet and they can find other people to talk to. What's the role of the feeling of escapism when it comes to game? So escapism gets a really bad rap. It's traditionally framed as something that's bad. And one thing that I talk a lot with my clients about is, you know, if you're needing to escape, it's probably because you're overwhelmed. If you're needing to like just divert all of your attention someplace else, That's probably because the demands of the world are exceeding your capability of coping and you basically need to put yourself in timeout. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, I mean, we always often talk about escaping into a good book and nobody thinks of that as being negative, you know? And so it's very much the same thing of if you're doing it because you need a break and you are, you know, you get the good, warm, fuzzy feelings from playing the game, there's nothing wrong with that. The little asterisk there is that 
if you are retreating so much into games that other life responsibilities are falling by the wayside, like maybe you forgot to pick your kid up from school. Maybe you're no longer going grocery shopping and you're just, you know, grub hubbing everything. Maybe you're showing up to work late or, you know, maybe you're not doing your homework in a reasonable amount of time. Those are all indicators that maybe this has gone too far. And again, games often kind of get tagged with that, but that's any activity. You know, if you were reading a book for 20 hours a day and not showering, that would also be problematic. So it's not so much the medium as in what we do with it. What do you say to a parent whose kid is uh, maybe preteen or, or getting into the teenage years, playing a lot more games, and maybe they come to you with a concern? What's your advice? Know what they're playing, who they're playing with, and what they're playing on. A really common issue is they won't stop playing when I tell them to stop, and then they get mad about it. Well, most of the time, that's because they're in the middle of something, and parents want them to stop right when they say stop. Whereas a lot of games, sometimes there's not a pause button. And sometimes if you quit out in the middle of the game, there are negative impacts. Maybe your score goes down. Maybe your rep goes down. Maybe, you know, I had a parent yank the cord on a, on a um, one of my, my kiddos and they got so mad. And, you know, there was this big thing. And, you know, when I finally got them to talk to each other, the kid was doing, um, w- was doing a raid with his friends. And so when the parent yanked them off the console, the kid felt like he let his friends down. It'd be like a parent coming in and just grabbing somebody off, you know, the football field or off the soccer pitch in the middle of a game. Like, you know, who wouldn't who wouldn't be upset by that? And I also like to tell parents, if you are doing the crossword puzzle and your kid comes in and rips it out of your hand and says, hey, it's time to go, you're probably going to be kind of upset too. So just normalizing that like, okay, sometimes we need to have limits, you know, give them warnings. And again, it comes back to knowing what game they're playing can they hit pause? And if they can't, so for example, Fortnite, there's no pause button in Fortnite and games last about, you know, depending on how good you are, they can last like 15, 20 minutes or they can last like five seconds. And so figuring out, okay, if dinner's in 30 minutes, you have time for, you know, at least one full game of Fortnite. And then after that, you know, you, we're going to have to make decisions. Well, Kelly, thank you for re-energizing my, my understanding of games um, and also my permission of them for my child. I think that she'll probably benefit a lot more than I expected. Well, thanks so much for having me. And, you know, if, if it helps to bring a, a parent and kid closer together, you know, then I'll, I'll put that on my I, I did it today list. And I'll check that off. That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want more information about how to help someone in a medical emergency, there's a link in the show notes to take you to our website. Or you can go straight to OnStar.com and tell us your favorite story about a time that a stranger helped you. Let's share some love for people who help others in big ways and small. On behalf of OnStar, I'm Tora Kachur. And please... Be safe out there.